So what is it that propels us onto the spiritual path? Or what is it that encourages us, supports us, and keeps us going? Sometime in each of our lives, we wake up in the middle of the night wondering, what's the meaning of it? Or perhaps after our hopes are crushed, or we have a big loss. Perhaps just as we're on our way to work again, and we think, why am I doing this? Or after another failure, or we're just overwhelmed by the stream of tragedies that the news presents us, the media presents us every day. And we think, what's the point? And perhaps all of the, the joy and the enthusiasm and the passion dries up, and we feel barren, empty. Life feels meaningless. What keeps us going? We all have encountered times and moments like this. It's part of the human condition, especially for reflective people. And if we have faith in something, then we tend to begin to move in the direction of whatever we have faith in. If we have faith in what media keeps telling us is the solution to all of our unhappiness, then we begin to consuming. Consuming whatever they can encourage us to consume, whether it be medicines or people, or whether it be experiences or clothing or food. But if you're a reflective person, that only goes so far. You know, we all have kept hoping and hoping and hoping that something would salve the loneliness, the ache, the disappointment in our hearts. We've all tried many things. If we have faith in work, activity, we may plunge into work, we may plunge into good deeds. to fill the void, to fill the, the loneliness, to fill the, 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 the sense of lack in our hearts. We become very busy. Or if we don't have faith in anything, we may fall into a void of depression and despair, hopelessness. The Buddha had his own experience of this. The Buddha was, you know, living, moving along in life, succeeding, doing very well. And some period, he lost all that aspiration, all that hope that the things he was engaged in were going to give him satisfaction. And realized, oh, I'm going to be sick. I am going to get sick. I am going to die. I hopefully will get old, but that's not guaranteed. 
And then the Buddha looked around his life and said, everything that I am engaged with right now, everyone I'm engaged with, all the activities and projects and things that are important, they're all going to disappear. And he asked himself, why am I who is impermanent? Why am I who is ephemeral? Why am I who is um, so limited? Trying to find peace in things that are limited, things that are impermanent. And the Buddha said, what if I turn my mind to look for that which is unborn, undying, always reliable? And in turning his mind toward what is already always reliable and what is unborn and what is undying, the spiritual path commenced. And for us, when we truly begin seeking something from the hollowness or the flatness or the anguish of our heart, and we're really seeking, that's when the spiritual path truly begins. That's what fuels and empowers the spiritual path. my experience, we have a desire, we have an aspiration for wholeness, we have an aspiration for meaning. We're always looking for something that has, has meaning. And in a way, the crazier the world gets and the more our own death or other people's death is imminent, the more important that inquiry becomes. And all of us have been touched and inspired in some way by an exemplar, someone who has led a life that we admire, or by a ritual that we've been involved in, a ritual or a service or a ceremony, and that touched something beyond us. We've read some writing about someone's experience. We've had an experience in nature or had the heart deeply touched in some way, and we know that because the heart has been deeply touched, there is life, there is something vital in you, in us. And then we step on the path of practice. We stop, at some point, stop theorizing, stop speculating, and we actually begin practice. Now, all of us, when we begin practice, think and hope it's going to be easier than it is. We all have, not all, but I certainly had a hope that by having a deep awakening experience, by having some deep experience, it would clear up all of the other problems in my life, all the other range of human conditions. And we sometimes naively step on the path thinking, oh, I'll just learn to be calm, I'll learn to be present, I'll learn to open my heart, and then, voila, I'll be at peace. But after we step on the path, we realize, oh, I have to come to terms with, I have to have 
a relationship with an acceptance of this life, this body, this world. And the only way to transcend this life, this body, and this world is to become them, to enter deeply into them, to meet them, to be unseparated from them. And transcendence, for lack of a better word, does not come from escape and removal. It comes from being so intimately engaged with something that it no longer opposes us, that we are no longer opposed from it. And then, in that experience, we can say we transcend it. Transcendence is a kind of intimacy. So then we come to Sashin, and everybody who comes to Sashin, especially the second time, um, you can stumble into it once without knowing what you're doing, but when you come back a second time or more, then there's got to be some conscious decision. When we come to Sashin, we may be sitting down and we, we listen to Chosen and Kisei's uh, advice about relaxing the mind and doing body scans and being present and and, um, and we actually may begin to relax the tension that's in our body, the tension of the past and the future, the tension of all the problems that we haven't solved in the past and all the problems that we're going to not solve in the future. And what's interesting is when we actually relax the tension in our body, then the reason that we had the tension in the first place becomes apparent. So we have layers of tension, tension on top of tension, on top of tension, on top of tension. And so we come into Seshin thinking, I'm going to have a deep, blissful, profound time. We begin to relax and suddenly that which is we didn't want to look at the first time begins to come up and it's hard to look at the second time. Now, when we are encountering the challenges of our lives, we have developed old thought patterns, old habits, old fixed beliefs, old habits of mind. And so as we begin to face that which is arising, that which reveals itself, that which makes itself known, our first reactive effort, option, is to fall back on those old familiar habits. The old familiar habits of analysis or of avoidance or of criticism or of whatever it happens to be. And we keep sitting. And one of the virtues of coming to Sashin is we keep sitting in a way because we have to keep sitting. It's so admirable to people who are sitting at home who keep sitting and they always could disappear. Nobody's going to complain. And yet they keep sitting. They keep coming back and keep coming back. We have the computers in front of the teachers, so we're very aware of of people's presence. 
So we're on this path, facing ourselves. And this path is a path of meaning. This path is a path that reveals the preciousness of our life, even in the midst of hard times. Because everything is part of our life. So if, it's, if we appreciate our life, we appreciate the up and the down, we appreciate the easy and the hard, it's all part of the preciousness of this life. And as we practice, we begin cultivating faith. Not only in the power and efficacy of the path, but also in our own capacity to awaken. Tori Zenji, the great uh, 18th century Zen master of Japan, says that the essential root, the essential fuel, the essential uh, impetus for the path is faith. To make progress, we have to have faith. And we have to either, we have some modicum of faith, of course, or we wouldn't be here. But that faith has to also grow. Not out of the mind saying, faith grow, faith grow, faith grow. It's like telling a plant to grow, 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 grow. It doesn't do any good. But out of our direct investigation, our testing, our walking, and as we walk the path and we find that the earth is supporting us every step of the way, and we find that the movement inside of us is carrying us and the breath is breathing us, we begin to discover the truths upon which we can base faith. Often people have experiences of one sort or another, and they may have profound experiences, small experiences, glimpses, or they big explosions of experience. All experience disappears, all of it. Good, bad, indifferent, great or small, it all disappears. Of course, that's the nature of things. But when we've had an experience and we've touched something that is true, even though the experience disappears, the confidence and the knowing of it remains in our heart somewhere. The first foundation of faith, Tori Zenji says, is to believe, to recognize, to acknowledge, to see that we and all beings are endowed with the heart nature of the Buddhas. No matter how things may appear on the outside, at its core, the wisdom and compassion of the Buddhas, of truth, is functioning. And that means no matter how it looks, there's a wonderful sutra called the non-origin of phenomena. And in, in it, the, the, the Buddha just basically says, you can't judge anybody. Any judgment you have is off. Because at the root, 
the, the heart of wisdom and compassion is functioning, no matter how it looks on the surface through our narrow mind. And this is very different than some religious traditions which say that at the root is an original sin, that we've, we've made mistakes before we're even born. But in the Dharma, we say before we were even born, we were whole and complete. When we were born, after we were born, when we die, after we die, at the root is whole and completeness. And that never changes. It's just our understanding, our view, our confusion is cleared up. The second point of faith is we can do it. We're sitting in the zendo here, and we all have our different attributes, our own strengths and weaknesses. Some of us are really intellectually very sharp, and some of us are a little duller. Some of us have many advantages in the world. Some of us have fewer. Some of us have lots of energy. Some of us have almost none. It doesn't make any difference. Because the path is not about something that we're going to get because we have the right attributes. It's about when we are looking directly, sitting in Zazen, being present, being in harmony with our own body and mind, and looking directly and seeing what is there. It is revealed to us. We don't have to get it. We don't have to make it. Just as we're watching a plant, and we water the plant, make sure it's sitting in the sun, and it will grow of its own accord. So as we're sitting here to have faith in your own capacity, to have faith that there's something happening, something moving, some mystery that's going on in your body, mind, life, way beyond our kin. After all, we don't have a clue what's really going on in our bodies. We understand that there are trillions and trillions of cells all doing something in there. And we all know that there's lots of reports of little molecules and corpuscles and things you know, running through our whole body all the time. And the body is excreting and squeezing out different hormones of one sort or another. We've heard all that, but it's all happening. It's a mysterious level. We sit in mystery. We sit with faith that there is a truth in us that only needs to be attended to for it to reveal itself. And that as we're attending, we have to recognize that we're going to have lots of experiences. I mean, the whole human life is nothing but a lifetime of experiences. And depending upon our inquiry and our determination, depending upon our intention and our aspiration, those experiences are shaped in different ways. Each comes to teach us something. There is nothing we experience that is not part of the learning of this path. That is not part of the growth of this life. As is always the case, when we appreciate 
and have loving kindness and honor this life and this body right here, then we have to appreciate and honor everything that led up to it because everything was a requisite for this culmination. And so as we're doing Zazen, as we're aligning body and mind with awareness, we add appreciation for the whole mysterious unfolding of this life. This frog, this floor. We practice with faith that if we are practicing and we are paying attention, when the time is right, when circumstances come together, different things will be revealed to us according to our karma. And that's not dependent upon our, our judgment, not dependent upon our, our uh, I'm going to make this happen, I'm going to see that. Rather, each of us comes complete with a particular karmic pattern, a pattern that comes from the beginningless nature of time, a particular pattern of way of thinking and feeling and, and being, particular body, particular age, particular hormonal influences in it. And that karmic package, as we practice, as we have faith, as we align the body-mind, that particular karmic package will indubitably blossom when the time is right. And we can't set the clock and say the time is right now. All we can do is keep on the path, keep walking, keep sitting, keep showing up with mindfulness, with attention, with intention. And then as is appropriate for our particular karmic flower, it will bloom. The next aspect of faith is we are not the best judge of our own progress. Whether we feel good or bad is irrelevant. It doesn't make any difference. We may have a miserable, miserable time. Low energy, dark, depressed. We may have a great time, bright, enthused, you know, full of zest. And, but below those surface appearances, there is something mysterious that is going on. And these particular surface manifestations just happen to be the way that we happen to be learning right now, happen to be the particular karmic expression at this moment of our bundle. And they'll change. There's no guarantee if you're really depressed and anxious that you'll stay depressed and anxious. There's no guarantee if you're light and happy that you'll stay light and happy. Everything has its wisdom. And at some point, we have to taste everything. We need teachers and Sangha to help us continually appreciate the flower that is blooming in our life right now, but also to be aware that it's only a blossom and it will fade. In the Zen tradition, 
part of the Zen tradition. We use uh, koans. Koans can be kind of testing posts. Now, everyone does not work on koans. That's, that's, but, but for those who do, they're regarded as public records. Public records of ways of expounding the truths that are as yet unrevealed to us. Here's what Tori Zinji says. There are quite a number of koans. He lists a bunch of them here. He says, all of them are hard to believe, hard to understand, hard to penetrate, hard to enter into, and seeing into them is uncommonly difficult. And just as an example, um, he, he gives a bunch of koans, but we're going to look at one of them just for a moment. Sozan's Memorial Tower. Here's the koan. Um, Memorial, Memorial Tower is a stone monument that's erected in somebody's uh, lifetime or to honor someone's lifetime. So there was a memorial tower being built in Sozan's monastery, and the monk who directed the construction <coughs> of the memorial tower came to report that it had now been completed. Sozan asked, How much money will you pay the workers? The monk asked, answered, As you direct. Master Sozan asked, is it better to give the workers three coins, or two coins, or one coin? If you can give a good answer to this question, you have built my memorial tower. The monk was at a real loss and could not answer. Torizinji says these are difficult, 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 and they're, they're pointing to something that is obvious, obvious, obvious. Once we have entered into the non-dual and done some work with it. Continues, later a student of Sozan's came to Master Rasan, who lived in the Daiyu Daiyu Peak, and related this story to him. Rasan asked, "Has anybody been able to say anything?" The monk answered, "As yet, no one could." Rasan said. Go back to Sozan and tell him for me, if you give three coins to the workers, you, Master, will not get a memorial tower in your lifetime. If you pay them two coins, both you and the workers will be of a single hand. And if you give them one coin, it would harm them so much that their eyebrows, beards, and whiskers will fall out. The monk went back to Sozan and gave the message, on hearing it, Sozan prostrated himself solemnly in the direction of the Daiyu Peak, where Rasan was, and said, I had assumed there was nobody who could speak. But on Daiyu Peak is an old Buddha who emits light that reaches all the way even to this room. After having so praised him, he continues, But this is a lotus blossoming in the middle of winter. And on hearing this, Rasan said, By saying so, the hair on the tortoise has suddenly grown several inches longer. In a way, the two masters matched one another, none better, none worse. 
Tori Zinji said, there are many such koans, but according to the potential and root energy, each one needs to be seen into carefully in Zanzen's study. All the koans mentioned are difficult to believe, difficult to understand, difficult to penetrate, difficult to enter into. They cannot be seen into by, into by someone who has not yet arrived at that state. It is important to recognize that the path is rich and deep. And we tend to sometimes emphasize the straightforwardness and the simplicity of it, which of course is not untrue. But the richness of the Dharma has to extend into the whole world. The foundation of, from my limited experience of working with these koans, is they have to come from the non-dual, from oneness, non-separation. They can't come from the mind of separation, the mind that tries to figure them out. They have to come from a direct experience of a non-separate, from the inside out. So the koans, there are traditionally 1,700 koans in a whole bunch of different collections that people go through. But they're just markers, just little posts. Here, try this. Test that. Seen this one? Seen that one? They don't have any, they're not going to do anything for you. But like road signs. Oh, okay. I can see it this way now. I can understand that. I've tasted this. And in continuing to practice, whether we're practicing shikantaza, we're practicing silent illumination, we're practicing with koans, with watos, we're practicing investigation, we're practicing the rich texture of the Dharma, or we're practicing the simple clarity of the Dharma, it demands continuous practice. It demands not only us showing up with our bodies, but also demands us being in line with and aware of and in harmony with our own heart's aspiration, our own heart's intention. And as we practice more and more continuously with what we most deeply desire, as we practice more consistently, turning our mind to what is most important and most valuable to us, you're the arbiter of your own life, then we have more experiences then the, the path opens up, then it becomes richer. And despite the many different states that we will encounter, we just keep going, keep going. And as always, we can never compare. Because as I said earlier, it's a mystery. We do not know what's going on in any of the 70 or so people who are involved in this retreat. They're all mysterious. Each one has their own vital life. Each one is doing, each of you, each of us, is doing the very best that we can do. Each of us is practicing as wholeheartedly as we can, given what we're thinking, given the body, mind, state, circumstances that we have, 
everybody is always doing their best. It doesn't matter how it looks. You just know that. But sometimes you have to respond to, in different ways to people's best. Another aspect of practice is to truly step into the lineage. To step into the lineage of all the giants. There are people in the Dharma who have devoted lifetimes, their whole lifetime, from a young age to a very early late age, the Buddha himself from, you know, what, 40 to 80. Practicing, looking into this, it's not just a simple thing. It, it becomes as rich as the people who are walking the path. And to step into the lineage, to step into the line and the heart of all of those teachers who have helped and supported us to become one of them, to, to, to merge with the wisdom of you know, thousands of ancestors, become one with them. As Joshu says in the beginning of the Mumon Khan, to walk hand in hand with the great masters, eyebrow to eyebrow, knowing their minds, becoming their minds, and then passing that on. Another aspect of practice and faith is to have true confidence that the best place to practice is right where you sit or stand. It's the only place we can have any we can function is right here. We can't function in the future or past. But to have confidence that exactly the place where our feet are touching, exactly the place where our butt is sitting, exactly the place where our body is being breathed, exactly that place is exactly the place where things are illuminated. Awakening can only happen in this moment. It can't happen in the future because the future never arrives. It can only happen right now. Insight, awareness, all right here. And our job is to drop our fixed beliefs, drop our confusion, and to do our best to look directly and intimately and to feel into the nature of this moment, whole and complete, lacking nothing. This practice is a matter of the heart. As we begin to really recognize our own heart's aspiration and we do our best to fulfill our own heart's aspiration, we will find paths that will nourish that and connect with it. In the Buddhist tradition, especially in the Zen Buddhist tradition, the fuel for the whole path, once we have got started, once we've made, found some some modicum of stability, once we have begun to be in harmony with our body and stop fighting ourselves so much, the fuel for continuing on the path is the bodhisattva vow, which we repeat here over and over and over, you know, sometimes I think ad nauseum. 
But every day, almost every day, sometimes several times a day, beings are numberless, I vow to free them. The path is based on great compassion. So how can we see beings are numberless? First off, we are not separate from anyone. And if we look carefully at our own experience, we find that our own experience, it even belongs to us, is touched by, is linked to, is merged with everything. Like the stream of food, the karmic stream that brings food to us is rich and integrate. This karmic stream that has led this body to be here is rich and integrate. Intricate. In order for us to be sitting right here, you know, 40,000 generations of men and women had to come together at exactly the right time for us to be here. The Vajrayana tradition says about this, they said, everyone has been our mother, our father, our brother, our cousin, our daughter, our son, that our, probably our pet too, vice versa, that we are intimately connected to everyone and because we're all connected, because everybody is a part of me, because everything I see, hear, smell, taste, and touch is my mind seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching because everything I know is my mind knowing, although it doesn't belong to me. There's no separation, and everyone is my life. And when we know, even have a glimpse of that, then we recognize the amount of distress and suffering that we have experienced in our own life, the amount of pain, traditionally in We talk about there are eight hardships of a human being. The hardships of being born and growing up as a child. The hardships of getting old. The hardships of being sick. The hardships of dying. The hardships of being around people we don't like. The hardships of losing people we do like. The hardships of of that which we are cherishing and are admiring and appreciative of disappearing and just the insubstantiality, the unpredictability of all things, the eight hardships of a human being. And when we recognize that we have experienced this and everybody we know has experienced this, then we rouse the bodhisattva vow that says, I would like to be free. And part of my aspiration to be free is to help all the beings be free. For bodhisattva vows to assist everyone, to encourage everyone, to help everyone by cleaning up our own confusion, by helping each person fulfill their life. We learn in order to do that about skillful means, etc. Last little bit here. Anthony Bloom, who is the Metropolitan or the Archbishop of the Russian Orthodox Church uh, in exile and after World War II, and then now he's, or later he was 
head of the Russian Orthodox Church, I think in Britain, says this about his father. I remember a certain number of times, a certain number of my father's phrases. In fact, there were two things he said which impressed me and have stayed with me all of my life. One is about life. I remember he said to me after a holiday, I worried about you. And I said, did you think I'd had an accident? He said, that would have meant nothing. Even if you'd been killed, I thought you had lost your integrity. Then on another occasion, he said to me, always remember that whether you are alive or dead does not matter. What matters is that what you live for and what you are prepared to die for. These things were the very background of my early education and show the sense of the life I got from him. To have integrity, to have value, and to cherish the heart's aspiration, to cherish the heart's aspiration to be a benefit, to cherish the heart's aspiration to realize the nature of truth for the benefit of all beings is part of the integrity of a person of practice. And integrity, of course, means, you know, we follow the precepts of non-separation, the precepts of non-harming, have the heart's aspiration. We know for ourselves And this knowing for ourselves is the essence of Rohatsu Sashen. To show up, to calm the mind, to look directly, to work on your particular koan and your breath or whatever practice that you're doing with the faith that that is the most appropriate practice that you can possibly have at this time and not to be second-guessing and thinking there's something better, something better, something better, something better. But to, to actually plunge into and to garner the fruit, the wisdom, the compassion, the kindness that is always found in this moment, in this life, in this place. These have great confidence and great faith.